to No Baller. My name is Chris Rawl, and it is Thursday, June 3rd. On today's show, the Utah Jazz defeat the Memphis Grizzlies last night in Game 5 of their series and advance to the second round. Before we get to that, a little bit of cleanup. This show is now available on an app that you can download on anything. Amazon, Roku, iOS, Android, you name it. If you search for the Beehive TV, it'll pop up. Click that little download button. It'll be on your phone. You can get any video that I create here with Noballer. You can get a push notification anytime that it is now up and live. Uh, and it's a good thing to have in your back pocket if you just want to see my beautiful face on a daily basis. Number two, if you enjoy this show, please spread the word with people in your life who like sports. Get them to download the app. Get them to look at my beautiful face. They can do whatever they want with it. I won't judge them. The main point is help spread the word, please, and thank you. Now, how we always start the show. Why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. I was up at the Grizzlies Jazz game last night. Before I went there, I placed a, a decent amount of bets on various hockey and basketball games. I've leaned heavily into the NBA prop world, which some would say that I've lost myself there. I would say that I have found myself there because it's truly a glorious experience to go down the list of really bad NBA players and try to find which ones you want to bet for rebound totals or assist totals or three-pointers made. It's glorious. You can lose yourself in the numbers. It's a grand time. So I place bets before I go up to the game. So I'm obviously not watching these games live because I'm getting locked and loaded for the Jazz game and I'm thumbing down my phone. Uh, one of the people who I honed in on was Rui Hachimura, who plays for the Wizards, who have just had an injury to Davis Bertans. So they had a minutes void that needed to be filled. I said, Rui Hachimura, point total, 14 and a half. I like the over. He's going to do it. He's got a little more going on. And I spread myself around in these areas. Uh, the Hawks and Knicks are going on. I say, Trey Young, over three and a half rebounds. Let's do it. So now I'm thumbing at my phone and I'm hitting the refresh every 20 seconds or so, just watching the box score and hopefully seeing Rui Hachimura's point total blip and Trey Young's rebound total blip. By the end of each game, I cash both. Trey Young finishes with four rebounds. I get it by uh, miniature hair. And Hachimura, uh, Hachimura hits it with room to spare. But it reminded me of why I love gambling and why I believe that gambling should be legal in Utah because it will make you stare at and refresh your phone with even more intensity than usual. And now, a word from our sponsor. With your masquerading Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. The Utah Jazz defeated the Memphis Grizzlies last night, 126 to 110. In Game 5 of their first-round playoff series, the Jazz win the series 4-1. They move on to the second round. And I'm going to start my observations of that game with the star of the night, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, the player whose ceiling is what will dictate the ceiling of the Utah Jazz. I firmly believe that. Uh, I believe that as we've seen Mitchell come into the league and really jump off the screen in his rookie season, and then we've seen him progressively get better over the course of each of his first four seasons. It's kind of crazy looking back four years ago when Gordon Hayward had left in the offseason. 
And I remember talking with a lot of Utah Jazz fans who were just bummed out because this is kind of the state of the NBA as a small market team. Uh, sometimes you do everything correct. You draft a player in the teens and you develop him and you nurture him and you turn him into the best version of himself. And part of that's on him and part of that is the team and the structure that's in place. And the Jazz did that with Hayward. And by the final season that he played there, the Jazz... They beat the Clippers in round one, and they're, they're in the second round, and they get swamped by Golden State, but that's fine. Everybody got swamped by Golden State. And then instead of staying there, uh, Hayward decided, I want to go to Boston, which uh, you know I don't fault him for. People can make their own decisions, but it left the Jazz in a, a kind of a bummer of a spot because they had a, a really good, solid core that had just made the second round of the playoffs. And a lot of that was predicated on Hayward and having the go-to scorer and creator. Now, Hayward's not your highest level NBA star, but he's a really good player. And when you're a small market team, you want and you need that as much as you can possibly find it because it's just hard to come by. You can't go out and snap your fingers and find that in free agency like other teams can. Uh, it's a lot harder process to find those players and then retain those players. So the Jazz are in that offseason and they draft Donovan Mitchell and we don't really know a lot about him. He's he played at Louisville. People, some people love him. Some people didn't. But we didn't really know what to expect. In his rookie season, he jumps almost literally out of the building from the get-go. Uh, I remember th that's the first year I started having season tickets with the Jazz. And I remember a game, I want to say it was in December of that year, where he played against the Pelicans at home. Uh, and he scored 40-some-odd points. And it wasn't just the volume of scoring that he had. It was the excitement and the explosion that Mitchell brings to the table. It's that first step where he's just gone. It's that ability when he's at the rim to just say, I don't care who's in my way. I'm going to throw down at all costs. And a lot of times he does that. It's the ability to shake and bake and hit these step back threes that we were seeing last night in game five. Uh, Mitchell's at his peak. He, I think of... Just that one word, explosion. That's what he is. Just this dynamo, this ball of energy and fury that has built basketball skill upon basketball skill over the course of these four years. Uh, last year, we started to realize that something special could be occurring in that Denver Nuggets playoff series. When for the first six games of that series, Mitchell put together an offensive performance that is about as good as anything I've ever seen from an individual player. And we'd watched Mitchell build and grow. And so to see that and to realize, hey, he's still building and he's still growing. If he can do that right now in his third season in a playoff series, what can this guy be? So that's when I start thinking about this in grander terms. And I start thinking about the ceiling of Donovan Mitchell as an offensive scorer and a creator. That is the same thing as what the Utah Jazz's ceiling is. Because in the playoffs, that's how you win. It's that style of player. Uh, you know, the comp that's always made is, can Mitchell be what Dwayne Wade was to the Heat? Who now, ironically enough, is his mentor. He's a part-time owner with the Jazz. You see him courtside at these games. And we look at Mitchell's game and we say, can you mimic in a slightly different way, but can you mimic what Dwayne Wade was to the Heat? Because if that's your ceiling, then the ceiling of the Utah Jazz is a championship team. So last night, we watch that version of Mitchell. Explosion. Explosion, explosion, explosion. Uh, the first half was 
everything that we've watched Mitchell do and build over the course of the last four years. He scores 26 points in that first half. He finishes the game with 30 points, 10 assists, 6 rebounds in only 29 minutes of action. He goes 5 for 8 on threes. And it was breathtaking to watch in a way that only Mitchell can really be on the Jazz roster because there are very few people in the NBA that can really ascend to that level of scoring and creation. Uh, And Mitchell was that. He's doing the step-back threes. Uh, Most notably at the very end of the first half, when he puts poor Dylan Brooks into a blender and he's crossing him up and down, left and right. He drills a step back three that Brooks plays actually quite nicely, but he just hits it because he's a shot maker. And then he doubles down on that at the very end of the half, 40 seconds later, when he does a similar thing to Valanchunas, who's out and he's got his hand up and it just didn't really matter because Mitchell was feeling it. And he shoots one of those high arcing threes that swishes through as the half is coming to a close uh, Vivint Smart Home's going crazy. I'm going crazy because you just realize that you're a part of something special when, when Mitchell starts cooking in the manner that he was doing. Uh, and we've always seen scoring from Mitchell. From the second he stepped into the league, that's what really jumped off the page. Wow, this guy who was not really a primary option at Louisville is suddenly thrust into the void that was left by Hayward, a uh, playmaking and a scoring void, And out of necessity, the Jazz said, hey, can you do something similar to what Hayward was doing? And Mitchell did it in a different way. He was not definitely the creator that Hayward was back in his rookie season. But with that athletic explosion and his ability to just score, he did a reasonable job of filling that void. And the Jazz make the playoffs that year, you know, and they beat Oklahoma City in round one. And Mitchell's a big part of that. They flame out against Houston in round two, but that's fine. It's part of the learning curve. It's part of the building process. It's part of what I've talked about all week when it comes to the playoffs. What are the questions that arise from a playoff loss? And how do you go about finding answers to those questions? So in that first half last night, I'm watching years worth of work from an individual player, the person whose ceiling is synonymous with the ceiling of the jazz. And that really manifests itself through his creation because Mitchell didn't, fully comprehend or create at a very high level his rookie season. His body knew what to do, but his mind was slower when it came to processing. How do I balance scoring and creation? How do I see how a defense is moving and piece that together and see ahead of time what is going to be open and get the ball there? Or if a defense is collapsing on that, then I know this is my time and I'm going to score because I have one-on-one matchup, or something of that ilk. He didn't possess that skill when he came into the league, and we've seen him grow greatly in that area. Second year, his third year, and his fourth year. It's the best we've seen, and it still has room to grow, but we're seeing a really special combination of scoring and creation. Uh, Just as impressive as these step-back threes and these 26 points that he was drilling in the first half that came on a variety of moves that, again, we've seen Mitchell build up. He's at one point he's attacking the rim with ferocity and on another one he's doing this slow halting stutter with a defender on his hip and and he slowly goes into the basket like an old man playing down at the YMCA. He's just expanded the ways that he can score. It's not always balls to the wall. I'm attacking the rim. I'm trying to dunk on everybody or it's a three. He's just flushed out more aspects of his game. That's how you become a really good scorer and that's how you raise your own ceiling and the ceiling of your team as a championship team.
But last night in the second quarter, what jumps out to me in the crowd even more than those threes and all that scoring, it's his creation uh, and the passing that he's really shown this year at a high level. His ability throughout the regular season to suddenly out of the blue really understand when defenses collapse onto me and I've cut to the middle, this team has three-point shooters and we create space in spades and I can whip these cross-court passes to open shooters and now they're canning threes. He's really flushed out that part of his game. And last night, he's dictating the entire offense from the top of the key and he's zipping. He's At one point, he's drawing two defenders to him and Gobert's rolling away, and Mitchell sees this, and he throws a nice pass over the top of two of these people, and Gobert's catching it and dunking it. Easy bucket created out of just Mitchell's comprehension of what's going on. He has two more just sweet passes, uh, one to Bogdanovich and one to O'Neal, both within that second quarter, in a similar manner, where the defense is coming out, and they're trying to shade on to Mitchell because he's torching him with his scoring, and now he's understanding, okay, there's a time and a place for me to score, and the defense is realizing that, and they're shading towards me, I'm going to zip a sweet pass to O'Neal, who's cutting the basket, and now he's getting lit, and I'm going to do the same thing to Bogdanovich. When I think about the ceiling of Mitchell, and in turn the ceiling of the Jazz, the most optimistic version of that idea is what you're seeing in the first half last night. Uh, it's incredible scoring, 26 points and a half, 50-point pace for a game but it's accentuated by what Mitchell has built and what he is continually building. It's comprehension of how a defense is trying to play. And when you're having success in one area and they try to play that or overplay that, then you have the game that can attack them in a different manner now. You know, 30 points, 10 assists. Uh, I think I saw a stat last night from ESPN Stats and Info after the game, the third player in jazz history to do that, the, the youngest player, uh, behind Darren Williams and John Stockton. Like, that's special company, you know? Stockton, all-time jazz player, and Darren Williams, one of the, you know, greatest jazz players of his era. Mitchell is at a place that's really good, and as a fan, it's really cool to watch because he already possesses incredible gifts and ways to influence a basketball game, and yet he's still in his fourth season, and he still has room to grow. And so, yeah, there's pressure on the Jazz to win this season. I've talked about this before. There's certain salary cap decisions they're going to have to make after this season that could influence this roster. But even if the Jazz lose within the playoffs this year, what you see from Mitchell every single year so far, it gives you a lot of hope and optimism for the future, that his ceiling is constantly being raised. And in turn, that means the ceiling of the Jazz is being raised along with it. So the other thing that really comes out of this game for me uh, and it's something that I don't know if it was a light bulb going on after game four or just something that I've been thinking about more as I do this show, but I spoke after game four about this transformation that the Jazz are kind of going through, where they're shifting from a defensive team to an offensive team. Uh, it seems like that is what they trust in above all else. And to me, the viewer, that's what I trust in all else when I watch the Jazz, when push comes to shove and things are getting tight. I'm not sitting there as I was in past years and saying, okay, the Jazz, you just gotta, you buckle down the hatches, you grind out the possessions on offense and you swamp them on defense and hopefully you outscore them eight to six down the stretch of this game. And that's how you win this old school Jazz basketball that we loved uh, in the Stockton and Malone era when 
they were never this dynamite offensive team. They ran pick and roll. They pick and rolled you to death. And they were hard-nosed and they were physical. And they made you earn every basket on the other end of the court. And the Jazz have always kind of had that identity. And this is the first year where I've started to see something different, uh, where when their offense starts humming, it's truly a thing of beauty. That's one of the things that stood out during the course of this regular season. When the Jazz offense gets going, it's breathtaking and, and it's unstoppable because there's so much space and motion and ball movement and different ways that they can attack you and kill you that when they get going, it just seems like there's no defense on earth that can stand in its way. Uh, and at times within the first half of the regular season, I kept waiting for this to die down. You know, this jazz three-point shooting, this depth scoring, this creation and scoring combination of Mitchell and Conley. I kept going, wow, they are playing at an incredible level. At some point, this is going to die down, right? And the season ended, and no, they didn't die down. That's just what they were. They were one of the best offensive teams in basketball. And now we've gone through five games against the Memphis Grizzlies. And we've seen the same theme. Uh, a myriad of ways that this Jazz offense can burn you to the ground. And after game one, when the Jazz go 12 for 47 from three, not a good game. After that game, uh, they just buried Memphis under this avalanche of three-point shooting. First quarter last night was the perfect encapsulation of this. Uh, and kind of the perfect encapsulation of the last four games of the series, all four games that Mitchell played in. Um, the Jazz, they score on 16 of 19 possessions to start the game. They go 8 for 10 from 3 within that first quarter. By the end of that quarter, they are up 47 to 27. They set a franchise record for points scored in a playoff quarter. And watching it in the crowd, <laughs> I felt kind of bad for Memphis who's not a bad defensive team, but they had no answers because Mitchell started cooking and the Jazz were eight for 10 from three and they were getting that from all positions. Bogdanovich is hitting threes. Conley is. Royce O'Neal, Mitchell, George Nang hits a three. It's just, it's depth scoring. It's high level scoring and creation in isolation and on the pick and roll from their two best players there, Conley and Mitchell. Uh, it's Gobert rolling to the rim and dunking and just creating that gravitational space that he does just by virtue of doing that. That's what the first quarter was. That's what the first half was. It was the Jazz saying, hey, at no point in the last three games, with the exception of the fourth quarter of game four, has Memphis shown any ability whatsoever to knock us off our spots and take us out of our comfort zone on offense. We can get the shots we want continually. And, and if we make them, they're dead. The first quarter, the game is essentially over. They're up by 20. They've scored 47 points. And it's because they got all those shots and they went in. Uh, that's the transformation. And that's what I think the Jazz are trusting in as our ceiling as a championship team is this. And it's Donovan Mitchell being the star of a series. And it's accentuating that with our offensive identity. What he does as a scorer and a creator, and what we do as a team around him. Shooting those open threes that him and Conley can create, Gobert catching and dunking, all that kind of stuff. It's the similar theme of the regular season. It's the similar theme of this entire playoff series. It's depth, it's depth, it's depth, and it's three-point shooting. Uh, Jordan Clarkson for the second straight game 
he plays a big part of this one. You know, he scores 24 points. Uh, and if you're getting a good version of Clarkson, it's really hard to beat the Jazz because you know other people are going to contribute. And that's the case last night. Uh, Rudy Gobert, he accentuates what everyone else is doing. He's got 23 points and 15 rebounds. And like I said, a lot of that is just come, it's coming off of the flow of the Jazz offense. And it's creating these easy buckets where he's rolling continually to the rim and the Grizzlies head is spinning like a top because they go, we kind of got to defend these three-point shooters because they're killing us. Oh no, now Gobert's behind us and he's just getting a wide open dunk at the basket. That's why this offense has been so special throughout the year and why the Jazz trust it to take them far in the playoffs. Bogdanovich scores 17 last night. He's been rock solid this whole series. Just that secondary scoring piece. When you need him to hit a three, he hits a three. When you need him to create a few buckets, he can do that as well. Uh, he's a great side piece to the two-man game of Conley and Mitchell. So this transformation is, it's not even underway. It's there. It's been realized. Uh, you know, the, the cocoon is hatched and the butterfly has been fluttering around for who knows how long. Maybe I'm slow to it in my comprehension, but it's really been prevalent in my mind over the last few games of this series where the Jazz have struggled somewhat on the defensive end but it doesn't really matter because this offense has been so overwhelming that all of my takeaways coming out of every game is Mitchell, Conley, three-point shooting. That's what this team has now become. So those are all the positives uh, and the things that I've really enjoyed about watching this series. And as yesterday's show was about, the playoffs are all about this continual search for answers to questions. Questions, they're continually popping up. Uh, you look at them, you say, what are they? How do we solve them? Or can we solve them? And then you move forward with the best possible game plan based upon the questions that have arisen. So the, the Jazz are now heading into round two. And coming out of this series, in my opinion, there are two large questions looming over the team and looming over the next series against either the Mavericks or the Clippers. The first one is Mike Conley and his hamstring. He leaves about three minutes or so into the second quarter, and he doesn't return. He says he feels a slight tug in his hamstring, so the Jazz take him out. Uh, from a different player, this might not really be noteworthy. For Mike Conley, we know this is very noteworthy. He missed 21 games this season, uh, all hamstring-related. He's had a reoccurring hamstring thing throughout his entire career. It caused him to miss a bunch of games his first season with the Jazz. It caused him to miss a bunch of games when he was in Memphis. Uh, it seems like it's something that will never go away with him. So when he says he feels a tug in his hamstring and he doesn't play the rest of the game, the alarm bells start ringing. Because now in a playoffs that have already had a bunch of injury question marks spread throughout a bunch of different series, even within this one, Donovan Mitchell doesn't play game one because of the ankle. That was a question mark throughout the series. Uh, now the Jazz have a very big one looming because Conley was the steady rock for Utah. He was, in my opinion, their best player in games two and three. Uh, 20 points, 15 assists in game two. Every play that needed to be made down the stretch of that game was from him. Uh, game three, the exact same thing. I think 27, 8, and 6 in that game. 7 for 10 from three. Combination of him and Mitchell, they made every single play in crunch time. Game four, not an overwhelming stat line. 11 points, 7 assists. 
All the biggest plays of the game were Mike Conley. The two biggest threes of the game, a strip of John Morant to set that up. Great pass to go Bears. He's rolling to the rim to set him up at the free throw line. That was all off of Mike Conley. So it's problematic when you have a question mark like this now looming and the Jazz look in the mirror and say, uh, what are we without Mike Conley in a playoff series against either the Mavericks or the Clippers? Or what are we in a playoff series against either of those teams with a diminished version of Conley or a slightly hampered version of Mike Conley? Uh, we're not going to have answers to those questions until that series begins. And we know if he's playing or not, or if he's playing in what capacity. But that's a really big looming question. That's a, a shitty part of the playoffs, unfortunately. Injuries happen. Uh, and now it's the team's duty to say, we don't have this dude. How do we respond? And if we do have him in a limited capacity, how do we respond in a different manner? And if we have him and he's healthy, then okay. Uh, how do we build upon this offensive transformation that we've undergone and really try to blow the doors off of Dallas or the Clippers in a way that we've been able to do with Memphis these last four games. Number two, uh, the other big question coming out of this series, and it's not necessarily one that's specifically just tied into this year, but it's also tied into last year. Uh, it's the inability of Utah to limit opposing guards from scoring and getting into the paint and creating offense for their team in that manner. Because for the second straight postseason series, we saw that. Last night, John Morant and Dylan Brooks, they finished with 27 points apiece, each on 50% shooting splits. It seemed like that was a nightly theme. Uh, Morant and Brooks eating in the area that they wanted to eat, the key, and the free throw line. And the Jazz did not really at any point stop them from doing that. And this is on the heels of last year against the Denver Nuggets, where as good as Mitchell was for those first six games, uh, Jamal Murray was essentially his equal. He burned the Jazz defense to the ground continually over and over. Mitchell scores 50 points twice in that series. Well, Murray matches him with 50 points twice in that series. Uh, the Jazz had no answer for the Murray-Jokic pick and roll. Uh, they really struggled in that area. And now in this series, it's a different style of play, but it's built upon the same idea. We're going to get into the paint and we're going to do what we want there. And Morant and Brooks did that continually to great success. Now, they didn't win because Utah's offense exploded and Memphis had less answers for them than Utah's defense had for Memphis. So this is kind of a little bit lost in the shuffle because anytime you win a playoff series, you don't make excuses and you don't say, oh my gosh, we're just going to be screwed next round because we didn't play as good a defense. You realize winning a playoff series is freaking hard and you go, we beat a team in five games. That's awesome. And now that we have some time off and we can study film, we can practice, okay. What is one of the big question marks coming out of this series? We didn't play defense in a way that we did in the regular season. Why is that? How do we stop the opposition from getting into the paint? Uh, that's the question the Jazz are now looking at and trying to make adjustments for and understand how to be better in that area. Uh, and this is fighting a lot of narratives about Utah's defense in the playoffs. You know, because this ability of guards, Morant and Brooks and last year, Jamal Murray, that's a whole different subset from what a lot of people think is the major weakness of Utah's defense within a playoff series, which is their inability to limit high, high level wings from doing what they want to do because the Jazz lack a perimeter shutdown option. And if we say, okay, how are the Jazz going to shut down uh, Kawhi Leonard next round? Or how are they going to shut down Luka Doncic? Or how are they going to shut down these top of the top 
NBA wings, the Kevin Durant's, the LeBron James's, just the very best scorer and creators who have size and physicality and can hit you in a lot of different ways. How do the Jazz go about playing against that with a defense that doesn't have a lockdown perimeter option? Uh, that's another question mark. And it's fueled by what we've seen against three players that are, it's no knock to say this because they're all good players in their own right, but those three players are lesser versions of what Kawhi Leonard or what Luka Doncic will bring to the table in the next round. It's a lesser version of what a LeBron James or Kevin Durant will bring to the table if they ever played a team like that in, the play, in a playoff series. So the Jazz have to look at that question and say, is this answerable? And if so, how do we go about answering it? Uh, or if in their heart of hearts they say, we're always going to struggle somewhat with this because of our personnel and because of the way we play defense, then how hard can we lean into this offensive transformation? Uh, and how much can we rub out the warts on the defensive side with the ability to explode at any given moment on offense? So that's the series. And now the Jazz kick back and they wait. Dallas and the LA Clippers, they play on Friday night. Dallas is up 3-2 in the series. Clippers are favored by two points in that game. And this is why the Jazz moved heaven and earth to get the one seed. Because they were able to play a relatively easy series against Memphis while the rest of the Western Conference, all three other series, they're just dogfights. They're rolling around in the mud. They're getting injured. They're getting tired. They're beating one another up. And the Jazz are done now. They get to sit home. They get a rest. They get to try to... Get Mike Conley's hamstring feeling better. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's ankle feeling slightly better. They get a game plan for how they can be better at defense, what more they can do on offense. And the rest of their conference, they're duking it out. The old heavyweight battles. This is why you get the one seed. So they're going to sit home. They're going to watch all this. They're going to take a long look in the mirror with these playoff questions that I'm talking about. Uh, and then once the winner of Dallas or the Clippers emerges, we're going to ready to ask a lot more questions. Uh, and hopefully... Find more answers as that series begins. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.